Pins and Needles, Part 7 Isabel Santiago de Compostela, Spain Since they had started to keep the shop open through lunchtime, it had become one of their busiest periods of the day. Most of the surrounding stores were closed for a few hours, and it gave workers, escaping the confines of the office, somewhere to shelter from the rain or sun, depending on the vagaries of the Galician weather, while they perused the eclectic odds and ends that had been donated to raise funds for the Los Pobres de Santiago charity. The extra hours had not seen an increase in the wages of Isabel and Paula, but neither of the two women were motivated by the modest salary. Before the change, Paula had worked the morning shift until 1400, while Isabel had covered evenings from 1630. To cope with the new frantic lunchtime trade, Paula had agreed to remain until 4.30, while Isabel came in early at 2pm. The two and a half hours of shared time had brought a new social aspect to the job. In the less busy periods between helping customers, they had begun to cement something akin to a friendship. It fell short, however, of a level that would encourage Isabel to share the inner turmoil she now found herself living through. She watched from the street outside until Paula had disappeared into the back room to fetch something for a customer, before entering with the black plastic bag containing her wedding dress and Ancho's damning paisley shirt. She tossed it among the other bags of donations and followed Paula into the staff area. Hola, guapa, Paula smiled, looking up from where she crouched over a tea set box that she had opened on the floor. Some old guys just bought this, but there is a cup missing. I don't suppose you know where it is. Sorry, though we wouldn't have accepted it if there had been pieces missing, so it must be somewhere. Isabel hung up her coat and bag. I'm just going to grab coffee before I start. Want one? Not just now, replied Paola. I need to find this bloody cup. Isabel made herself an instant coffee at the small kitchenette that occupied one corner of the room and left Paola rummaging while she returned to the shop floor. The old man was thumbing through a book on gardening. I'm sorry, my colleague is just trying to locate one of the cups. That's fine, replied the man. I'm in no hurry. His face fell, however, when Paula emerged ten minutes later to inform him that the cup was nowhere to be found. She took his number and promised to call him if the errant piece of crockery showed up. Isabel had been kept busy with a steady stream of customers and a further half hour passed before both women found themselves in a lull. I'm going to get that coffee now. Uh, want one? Yeah, that would be great, said Isabel. I didn't get a chance to drink the first. She pushed the cold cup of coffee across the counter. Joder, said Paula. What? That's the bloody cup I've just wasted an hour looking for. She laughed, and Isabel was surprised to hear herself join in. So life can go on. Paula disappeared into the staff room, and Isabel's mental reprieve gave way to dark thoughts of the impending confrontation with Ancho. A woman entered the shop. Isabel, submerged in her worries, barely noticed. With the upheaval of the morning, she had neglected to make the doctor's appointment. That would have to wait. Confronting Ancho, though, couldn't. Are you okay? asked Paula. She was standing in front of Isabel with two cups of coffee. You're miles away. Uh, sorry, I was just thinking about what I'll make for dinner. Paula shrugged, unconvinced. Will you do that while I sort out some of the donations? She busied herself with the bags in the corner as the customer approached the till with a number of bright items of clothing which she placed on the counter. All of these? asked Isabel, speaking Spanish. The woman looked apologetic. I'm sorry, do you speak English? 
Of course, said Isabel, switching. She began to ring up the prices on the till. I really should be ashamed, continued the woman. I've been living in Spain for seven years now, but I still haven't managed to learn much more than how to order my tea with cold milk instead of lemon. Isabel smiled. Seven years? Why did you choose Santiago? We get many peregrinos visiting, but it is usually only the students that stay longer. Oh, I'm not living here. I have a place near Malaga. I've just been visiting a Spanish friend who lives in Galicia, and Santiago was the nearest airport. I'm flying out this evening. You are from England? No, uh, Ireland. Ah, sorry, said Isabel. I always find it difficult to tell the difference in the accent. I've heard that Ireland is a beautiful place, but I've never been. It is beautiful. Not unlike the little I've seen of Galicia, actually, said the woman. I'm on my way back home for a week or so. You still have family there? Not for long, unfortunately. My daughter and granddaughter are about to join my son in Australia. In fact, I'm on my way to help them with the move. Isabel stopped what she was doing and looked up. I know that they say the world is small, she said, but Australia is still a long, long way to go. Yes, said the woman. Isabel recommenced packing the purchases. As she waited, the woman's gaze fell on the book of petitions to Santiago that was kept on the counter. I hope you don't mind me asking, she said, but what's this? This shop is for the charity of Los Pobres de Santiago. The book is for the petitions of our customers. A mass is offered each week in the cathedral by the local priest who works with our organisation. Oh, how lovely, said the woman, picking up the pen. May I? Of course. It's for my granddaughter. My daughter's husband was killed, you see. A car crash. Angela hasn't spoken since, though the doctors say it's a psychological problem. Grace, that's my daughter, had to return to work when her husband died. And she doesn't think it's helping that she's not there for the poor child. She's hoping that Australia will give them a new start. And of course, she'll have the support of her brother. The woman began to write in the book. Without being particularly conscious that she was doing so, Isabel watched the sentence appear in firm, neat writing. For Angela and Grace, that healing will come into their lives. What a tragedy for you and your daughter, and especially for the little girl, said Isabel, embarrassed for some reason to have witnessed the private prayer. I lost my mother when I was quite young. It has such an effect. The woman looked up from her writing and tutted sympathetically. Isabel smiled at the acknowledgement. It was a long time ago. You never lose the grief, but you learn to cope. Yes, agreed the woman. You're never the same. You have good days when you feel that you finally have it under control, and then you hear a certain song or walk past a place you used to go together, and it hits you all over again. At least that's the way it is with my husband, Frank. It's almost four years that he's gone now. She returned to the task of completing the form in the inevitable heavy silence of shared grief that followed. In the column where the petitioners wrote their names, the woman put Helen Casey. Isabel rang up the last two items of clothing and bagged the lot. That's 22 euros. This lot is for Angela, said Helen as she fumbled in her bag for her purse. After her daddy's funeral, I stayed in Ireland for a few weeks while my daughter got back on her feet. While she was at work, Angela and I would sit and sew together. She seemed to like that, so I'm going to bring these nice fabrics for us to work with. It seems to be much easier to find colourful clothes over here. Isabel smiled. It's great that she has that interest. So many children play only the video games. The woman nodded in agreement. She opened her purse and started counting out money. 
Isabel looked away and saw that Paula had reached the black plastic bag that she had brought. The paisley shirt was laid in a pile of similar clothing that had come from other bags. Paula was standing in front of the long mirror with Isabel's wedding dress held up in front of her, as, no doubt, she imagined her notional big day. Isabel stepped briskly to the pile of shirts and selected the offending one. Returning to the counter, she pushed it into the bag. Here, she said, take these also. I'm sure your granddaughter will make something nice from it. Oh no, it's practically new and we'll be cutting it up. I insist, said Isabel with a smile. Dublin, Ireland Eat up, it'll go cold, said Mrs Kearney, hovering over Angela to ensure that her instruction was followed. Angela picked up a potato wedge and began to nibble on the end. She was aware that Mrs Kearney was watching her and knew instinctively that another little talk was coming. She stared at her plate as Mrs Kearney walked around to the opposite side of the breakfast counter and stood facing her. Angela, tomorrow your granny will be here and I won't have a chance to talk to you again, so it's very important that you listen to what I'm saying, right? Angela continued to stare at her plate. When Mrs Kearney spoke again, there was a new edge of hardness in her tone. Look, I know you can hear me, Angela. The moment that followed felt like an age to the girl and she could feel the tension mount until it felt like something she could touch, something suffocating. Right, I can't force you to talk, but by God, you're going to listen. Angela flinched as though she'd been struck as a hand shot across the table. It dragged the plate away and left the girl staring at the empty countertop. I know you've been through a lot, but you have to think of your poor mother. It's bad enough that she's grieving for your daddy, but now you have her worried sick about you as well. She let that hang in the air for a moment before attacking again. There's nothing wrong with you, Angela. The doctors say so. There's no reason why you couldn't speak if you wanted to. You need to stop thinking of yourself and start thinking of your mother for once. You have to stop being part of the problem. Angela flung herself down from the stool, fell, picked herself up and ran from the room. She scrambled up the stairs and into the bathroom where she locked the door and sat, trembling on the edge of the bath. She listened for the footsteps on the stairs that would tell her Mrs Carney had followed, but there was silence. She was upset, but in the blackness she was aware of a glimmer of light that had been present since Mammy had told her. Granny is coming. That night, when the policeman had called to say that Daddy was dead, she'd watched Mammy begin to die as well. When she drew pictures of her family at school, she would draw Daddy on one side, Mammy on the other, and her, small and safe, between them. Now Daddy was gone, and Mammy was falling. That was when the blackness took over inside. It wasn't until Granny had arrived from Spain that she'd found something to hold on to. Granny hadn't cried. She'd held her and told her it would be okay. She'd talked with Mammy, and whatever she had said had given Mammy something to hold on to as well. In those first days, Mammy had slept in Angela's bed with her, and Angela felt her body shake with big, silent sobs when she thought she was asleep. With Granny's help, though, Mammy had slowly started to live again. But something had changed, and things would never be the same. Angela knew now that Mammy could break. Angela hadn't wanted Granny to go back to Spain, but she had shown her where she lived on the map and explained that it was only four hours away by plane. Soon, though, they'd be living with Uncle Tony in Australia, and Angela had checked the map to see how far that was. 
It was the other side of the world. She couldn't think about that now, though. She had to hold on until tomorrow. Tomorrow, Granny would be here.